When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. There are many decisions a pregnant woman has to make about how she plans to labor and birth her child. Yet it is the hospital she chooses that can directly affect her breastfeeding relationship. Today we are speaking with Tanya Lieberman, an extremely well-accomplished IBCLC in Massachusetts and author of the Booby Trap series for the Best for Babes Foundation. Our topic today is how to avoid booby traps after a hospital birth. This is The Boob Group, episode 25. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk, what's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva, don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk, never had to pump. Breast milk, all udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the boob group, because mothers know breast. Welcome to the boob group. Broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also a certified lactation consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. At the Boob Group, we're your online support group for all things related to breastfeeding. Today, we're so excited to announce the Boob Group Club. Woohoo! This is an exclusive membership club available to all of our listeners. It gives you access to all of our archived episodes and some written transcripts of the show, plus a monthly newsletter with special giveaways, discounts, and much more. You can access all of this great information through the web or through our new Boob Group app. For more information, visit our website, theboobgroup.com, and click on the members link at the top of the page. Today, I'm joined by three fabulous panelists in the studio. Ladies, will you please introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Marie Kidder. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. My daughter, Aurora, is 11 months old. Hi, my name is Erin Esteves. I am 42 years old. I am in transition right now as far as career is concerned, um, and my son, Cash, is 11 months old. My name is Rachel Rainbolt. I am 29. I am a parent educator and author of the Sage Parenting Book and a full-time mom to three wonderful boys. Fantastic. Well, ladies, welcome to the show. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. So let's kick off today's episode with some unbelievable breastfeeding stories making headlines around the internet. All of these stories are posted on the Boob Group Pinterest board if you want to check them out. So the topic today is um, from ABC News Online, and the, t- uh, the title is Adrian Pine Defends Breastfeed- Classroom Breastfeeding. And so uh, for those of you who don't know who Adrian Pine is, she is the American University professor um, out of Washington, D.C., who's... Uh, 
one-year-old was sick and they have a policy at her daycare that um, sick children are not allowed to go to daycare on that day and it was the first day of class which is if any of you remember from college that's when you decide if you are actually going to stay enrolled in that class or drop it because it's not that interesting and so um, she teaches a class called sex gender and culture and she figured she had to go to class that day so she had to bring her baby and at the time her baby wanted to feed and so she decided to breastfeed in front of her class and she's um she's gotten a lot of interesting feedback both positive and, and negative and so I was just curious um what you all would think if you were sitting there um you know you're Obviously, your perception would be different as a college student as compared to now being a breastfeeding mom. But um, what are your thoughts on this? I've actually had a professor breastfeed in class before, and I've had a professor allow me to bring my sick baby to class, and I've breastfed in front of a college class when I was giving a, le- a guest lecture. No kidding. <laughs> all of my experiences have been completely positive. Yeah. I remember when I saw the professor breastfeeding, it was a child development class, and she was doing a segment on like different birth options like home birth and things like breastfeeding um, as it was relevant to the curriculum and she had her daughter there and she breastfed her and nobody really batted an eye so much. Um, It was just kind of role modeling what she was talking about. Uh, And then I think when my professor allowed me to bring my sick baby, when I saw the article, that was probably the first thing that came to mind, like paying it forward. Because I think I read in one of the comments, like a professor would never let a student bring a sick baby to class. Uh, and did I you thought, write back? Yeah, I said, actually, my professor did. Uh, and then I breastfed when I was a guest lecturer um, at a class over at Mesa College. Mm-hmm. Um, I was giving a presentation, and my baby was really new at the time, so he was in his little pouch and sleeping and nursing and making googly eyes at people, and it was all positive. Yeah. That's that's really interesting that you bring up that one of the comments was that they would never allow a student to do that, but they're probably way more breastfeeding moms in a class breastfeeding their children than we know of um just because i mean we're we're kind of out of it now but it's very that's a good point i like that um erin how about you well i think that it particularly the subject that she was teaching i would just kind of think it was part of the (laughs) the curriculum (laughs) well not necessarily the curriculum but part of her philosophy or part of her part of the entire ideology of the subject so I think that if I did find it awkward or uncomfortable I would be more introspective on as to why I felt that way as opposed to looking out at her and somehow blaming her and as I understand it she did warn the class she didn't just like whip it out and unannounced yeah so they were prepared in some way. Yeah. How about you, Marie? I actually hadn't heard about that, so it's really interesting mm-hmm. to me. Um, I remember in college, we were at a restaurant, and there was a lady breastfeeding her child with a cover. And I remember I was at the kind of prude. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so distracting. Why wouldn't she just get up and go away? And now I've done it at a restaurant many times, <laughs> with or without a cover. Um, so it is interesting how your perceptions do change, because now as a breastfeeding mom, I would think, that's so great. You brought your baby with you. That's wonderful. You know, I How would, lucky are you? I, I know I would really <laughs> applaud them for, for doing that. And I just think there are so many different people and everyone's going to react differently. And, you know, 
Absolutely. There's always a little bit of hype with everything, you know, everyone wants a reaction, I guess. Absolutely. Well, (laughs) and it's funny because our our most recent episode is actually about sex and breastfeeding. And so the stuff that we talked about would be perfect for her class, talking about how (laughs) sex and culture and how society perceives it and everything. So um, especially with college age boys there. (gasps) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, you figure that the topics that she gets into are going to be very interesting and talking about sexuality and breastfeeding and exactly. So well, and in this class being about booby traps, that really speaks to the double bind that th- that we're put in, where you're supposed to breastfeed and you absolutely should breastfeed and you should be there for your sick children. But then on the flip side, don't breastfeed and <laughs> and don't be there to care for your children. You kind of can't have it both ways if you want the societal norm to be for for women to breastfeed, then you have to have a culture that supports that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, ladies, thank you for sharing your opinions. That was very eye opening. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. Okay, so today on the Boob Group, we're discussing how to avoid booby traps after a hospital birth. Our expert, Tanya Lieberman, is an international board-certified lactation consultant, a mother of two, and the author of the Booby Traps series for the Best for Babes Foundation. Tanya is also the writer and producer of the podcasts for Mother Love Herbal Company. Uh, So Tanya, it's such an honor to have you on our show today. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, Tanya, I am I'm an avid reader of your Booby Trap series for Best for Babes, um, but I realize that some of our listeners may not know um, what the booby traps are. So do you mind defining them? How do you define a booby trap? Um, so the Best for Babes Foundation defines booby traps as institutional, cultural, and legal barriers which prevent moms from meeting their personal breastfeeding goals. So what does that mean? So institutional things would be things like hospital policies that are known to undermine breastfeeding. Cultural booby traps would be things like, you know, maybe the way our culture sometimes views nursing in public, or maybe it's your mother-in-law saying, are you still doing that? Um, And legal barriers would be things like, you know, the fact that it's legal for employers to fire a mother just because she's breastfeeding. And the issue here is that, you know, often women are being told to breastfeeding, told to breastfeed, and then set up to fail. Moms, you know, frequently have to fight an uphill battle just to get evidence-based care that we've known works to support breastfeeding for decades. So, you know, and I I really think that until recently, the focus has been on individual moms, you know, fighting the battle on their own. So it's, you know, up until now, it's been kind of like a, here's what you need to know and good luck approach. And all the responsibility for the outcome fell on the mom's shoulders, no matter what she had to contend with. Um, So Best for Babes is is always set up to tackle the booby traps, these barriers head on, on behalf of all women who want to breastfeed. And I can say things are things are getting better, but just just not fast enough. Sure, sure. Well, we have a whole society combat when we're we're making big changes. But um, for a pregnant woman planning a hospital birth, Tanya, what steps would you recommend that she takes to ensure that she won't be booby trapped at the hospital? Yep, that's a great question. I want to just make a couple of notes before I um, talk about that. And the first is that I'm going to be talking a lot about research about what 
you know, what research says about breastfeeding. But, you know, of course, what research says and what an individual mom experiences might not necessarily be consistent. So, you know, research is the best way we have to understand what's happening on a large scale. It might not be reflected in, in your own personal experience. And the second thing I want to say is that the, the barriers that moms face can really depend on where you live in the country. Um, I'm a proud, transplanted Californian living in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say that California, as usual, is kind of on the leading edge in you know, eliminating all these barriers. So, um, you know, when I talk about booby traps, I'm going to be speaking nationally. And again, that may not necessarily represent what you, what you experience wherever you live in the country. Um, but back to your question. So, um, you know, probably the most important thing in planning a hospital birth to ensure that you're not booby-trapped is, is really carefully picking your providers and picking your hospital. Um, you know, uh, you can fight through each of these barriers one by one, but it's just very difficult when, you know, you're in labor or you're taking care of your baby and recovering. Um, you know, but if you can find providers that are truly breastfeeding friendly, including a, a really breastfeeding friendly hospital, um, it'll all just unfold in the way that it's supposed to happen. Um, so the other thing I think is that when you choose carefully, you're, you're kind of voting with your feet and, and that helps to bring about change for moms in the future. Um, so, um, you know, who, you know, let's talk about a bit about, you know, picking your providers. Um, I have to say it frequently gets people upset when we talk about the relationship between birth and its impact on breastfeeding, but it's, you know, the research clearly says that these two things are, are very connected. So, you know, picking an obstetrician or a midwife, and I think there's the you know, you can make a good argument that midwives are a really good choice. Um, but picking, you know, um, care providers for your um, your prenatal period, your pregnancy, and your birth who have a strong track record of low intervention births is important. So if you can find providers who have low rates of induction, low rates of cesarean births, low rates of epidural use or um, use of vacuum and forceps, if you are having a baby after having a C-section, if you can find a provider who has a good, you know, high VBAC success rate, um, you know, those are all things that, that will help you get off to a good start. They also, you know, you're looking for providers who um, don't load you up with formula samples starting with your first appointment, sure. <laughs> um, but they do, they do discuss things with you prenatally, hopefully a couple of times, and, and they know where to refer you for breastfeeding help if you need it. Um, doctors notoriously get very little and sometimes no education in breastfeeding in their training, which is another booby trap. So it can be hard to find. Um, next, um, it can really help if you have trained labor support at your birth, like a doula or maybe a family member or a friend who's, who's been trained in how to help you. Um, having a trained support person is going to lead to, on average, a lower intervention birth, which will help you get off to a good start. And then, of course, you know, it's important to find a hospital which practices evidence-based medicine when it, when it comes to breastfeeding. So, you know, that means they, they follow policies that don't undermine breastfeeding. They, they, they do keep moms and babies together. They don't supplement babies um, unless it's medically necessary. They have staff trained in how to help mothers learn how to breastfeed. Um, and they don't load you up with formula samples on your way out the door. And, you know, ideally, this means birthing in a baby-friendly hospital. But do you know what percentage of births happen at baby-friendly hospitals? Oh, my gosh. What is it, like 3%? Yeah, so it's improved a little. It's 6%. Oh, 6%, okay. I knew <laughs> it was under 10. There are only 143 in the country, you know, compared to thousands in, in other countries. Um, so, you know, it, it can be really hard. In California, I know not all of your listeners are in California, but for those who are, in California, you're really, you're really lucky because Kaiser has committed to making all of its hospitals either baby-friendly or kind of close to it in the coming years. So that's a big step forward. Um, but for, for moms living in other parts of the country, it's basically impossible um, to birth in a baby-friendly hospital. Things are 
changing. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of hospitals in the queue, um, but, but right now it can be tough. So the next best thing to finding a baby-friendly hospital is to find a hospital that follows the 10 steps to successful breastfeeding. And, and that's, um, that's the, the pol- set of policies on which baby-friendly status is based. So the problem is that that can be pretty difficult to figure out what your hospital actually does. But, um, but I definitely recommend um, seeing if your hospital can answer some questions about their breastfeeding policies. You can often get good information and recommendations from, from other moms or lactation leaders or lactation consultants in your community. Um, but, you know, here's the booby trap. You know, keep in mind that less than 4% of hospitals, according to the CDC, follow at least 9 out of the 10 steps and only 37% follow even five of the 10. So, so this is a big booby trap. Absolutely. Ladies, did you research um, this information on hospitals and OBGYNs and midwives before you gave birth? Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I interviewed OBs before I even became pregnant. When we decided we wanted to have one, we interviewed OBs um, and kind of fielded all of those types of questions about um honoring kind of our wishes based on the research that we did and found a provider who would support that. Yeah. How about you, Erin? Oh, absolutely. I, we, not only did I look for an OBG that had personal references for me, but also one that was very open to my input. I didn't want to have that kind of drive through experience where I didn't, where I was treated like chattel in a sense, just put through the motions. So absolutely. How about you, Marie? I did um, a lot of research, but more, my husband's a family medicine physician, so he's trained in OB and, and, and he, he delivers babies in a hospital. And so I had, I picked his brain like none other during the pregnancy. (laughs) And he definitely fights with a lot of OBs um, where he's at, where they're a little bit more C-section friendly than he as a family medicine physician is. And I did not want a C-section. Um, and my very good girlfriend's a postpartum nurse at the hospital that I ended up delivering at. And she loved her OB. And her birth story was one where her OB let her push for three hours before yeah. they did eventually do a C-section because she had a very large, large baby. Um, and so, I mean, her OB wasn't like, hey, it's been 30 minutes. Let's go. I got to go home for dinner. And so that really made um, an impression on me. And so that's basically how I found mine through a lot of personal reference, references as well as doing all my all my late night on light research trying to figure out what made sense to me. So I got lucky in that yeah. regard. It's so interesting. You know, my kids are seven and now almost six. And we were the first of our friends who had children. And I did no research whatsoever. <laughs> and it ended up kicking me in the ass because, you know, it just, I ended up having an unnecessary induction and a real interesting labor story. And so, um, you know, it definitely, it's, I love being surrounded by women who actually, that like, they do, they do their research and it. I feel it's, it's empowered me to do research in other areas now and I'm not having any more children. But, you know, but with the doctors that we choose, we now ask questions a lot where we used to just say, oh, okay, well, the doctor told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. And now we're kind of the the people who are saying, well, why, why, why? We're, we're like our five-year-old, why, why? But um, but it's amazing because if they can't answer the why, then I'm not going to do it. And so it's really cool that a lot of women are starting to look at this even before they've had their children because it absolutely can be extremely 
have interesting outcomes. Let's just put it that way. No, they're not. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Tanya, what are the most important things a mom can do to support breastfeeding immediately after her baby is born? And I realize this is almost a loaded question only because there are so many things that she can do. But um, but what would be kind of your top couple ones that really could, you know, affect breastfeeding if it's not done appropriately, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, in that in that immediate, really special time, right after the baby's born, I'd say that the most important things are to be in close contact with your baby, ideally skin to skin, and to initiate breastfeeding, you know, have your first feeding in the first hour. Both of these are really closely associated with later breastfeeding success. But, you know, here's the booby trap. <laughs> CDC data show that only half of the hospitals say that nearly all their healthy full-term babies born vaginally are having their first feeding in the first hour. So in some cases, moms kind of have to fight to, you know, to um, to really have that, that first feeding and that first really special skin-to-skin time. Um, it's also really helpful to delay non-essential newborn procedures until after the baby and you have had the first feeding. So it's kind of like the first feeding is like priority one. And everything else, unless there's a medical emergency, can really wait. And the American Academy of Pediatrics says that, you know, to delay the weighing, the measuring, the bathing, the blood tests, the vaccines, the vitamin K, that eye goop, all that stuff until after the first feeding. And then when it is time to do that, all that stuff can be done with the baby on the mom's chest. So the baby doesn't need to leave the mom's um, body in that in that really first special time. Um, you know, as far as, you know, why don't hospitals do this Yet, as a you know matter of course, I think it's you know mostly resistance to change. You know they've they've done it the other way, where you whisk the baby off to the nursery or to the warmer or to somebody else. You know maybe it's outdated training, maybe it's a failure failure of leadership in some cases. Um, I, I do think that skin to skin is becoming more accepted, but there are definitely still places where it's not not the norm. Um, you know there, there was some research about skin to skin in the NICU, where it's even more important. You know that babies have that that close contact with their mom when they can. And what they found is that hospital staff thought that skin-to-skin would make more work for them, which, you know, I always thought that happy babies and moms made less work for everyone, but yeah. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that you say even the AAP is behind all of these delayed things until as, as long as the baby's okay, obviously, and the mom's yeah. okay. But delaying all of this stuff um, until after the first breastfeeding session finishes up. Um, mm-hmm. But. So if they're saying this already, I guess they're not in the labor and delivery room. <laughs> but, and, you know, I think another thing that makes this a little complicated is that, um, you know, basically one in three births now is by cesarean. So that, you know, that changes the, the whole first hour, um, you know, what happens in that first hour. But, you know, a number of hospitals um, have shown that skin-to-skin is possible in the OR and that it results actually in better breastfeeding rates later on. And the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, does say that the first feeding should still happen within the first hour of a cesarean, you know, as long as everybody's healthy and doing okay. So um, so it's complicated because, because birth has changed a lot, but, but it's still possible. Yeah, we, we have a, we're, again, like you said, we're really fortunate in California. And even some of the hospitals in San Diego are, are really starting to move behind that after a cesarean birth that the mom, as long as she is a partner, 
her in there to make sure that the baby is safe on her chest, you know, while yep. every, all the other procedures are going on, um, that she can start breastfeeding her baby, you know, even mm-hmm. while they're they're fixing things up. So, mm-hmm. um, ladies, did you do anything during your labor and delivery that you felt supported your breastfeeding relationship with your new baby? And, and how supportive was your hospital staff when you were when you were there? Erin? Um, um, the staff at the hospital was very supportive, and that's one of the reasons I chose that hospital. They were very mother-child friendly. So they allowed us to do all of those things. They allowed us to not have the umbilical cord cut until it ceased pumping, and they didn't bathe him until he had been dried. You know, all of those things. They waited to weigh him. They left him on my chest. They actually let me pull him out. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's not too common. Yeah, no, so they great. let me pull him out, and we did we breastfed within the first hour. So, and I, as soon as I came in, the very first thing I requested was a lactation consultant. I knew that if I wanted to get that, I had to request it immediately. And I, I had done so much research and I was positive that everything would be okay, but I thought it was best to have one there just in case. And it turned out to be great that somebody was there. Um, so, re- yeah, I, I was definitely empowered and calmed by the amount of research and support that I got from the staff. Oh, that's fantastic. How about you, Rachel? Um, probably the most important thing I did was just to have it all in a birth plan ahead of time. Um, so that way it kind of took away a lot of the minute-by-minute battles that you have to make. It's just kind of here it is. It was discussed in advance. Um, everybody has a copy of it. This is how it's going to be. And basically the biggest thing in there was that the baby wasn't to leave my chest after he was born. So he came out, was placed right on my chest, and never left. And then I left the hospital. Um, so that helped a lot. But also I saw a really marked difference between my children. When I had my son, who's now seven, um, when he was born, he was placed on my chest and I wouldn't take him off. And about every hour, a nurse would come in and fight with me and insist that he needed to be placed in the little plastic bed next to me. They said the policy was that he was not allowed to be in the hospital bed with me or on my chest. Um, and they wanted to take him out of the room while I was sleeping. And um, I, we didn't allow that to happen, but we had to, I mean, battle every single person that came in the room every hour. Whereas with my third, who's just um, nine months old, it was completely different. We had a care provider that supported all of that. All the nurses were supportive of all of that. And he was with us the whole time. How about you, Murray? Um, my labor and delivery was a little bit chaotic. Um, uh, we did, my water broke. We did end up having to do Pitocin because nothing was happening. I was completely stalled out. And eventually, um, 30 hours later, they did wait a long time before they wanted a C-section because I had spiked a temperature. And my daughter did actually get pneumonia from it. So um, the things that I wanted to happen, like her going on my chest, even with a C-section, didn't. Um, during the the birthing class when they talk about c-sections i totally tuned that time out because that was not going to happen to me and i was completely unaware of how groggy you are and i think that's because i was very um nervous and i think they shot me with some happy juice at the end of it because they squirted something in the bag and i got really loopy so i wasn't a hundred percent with it um probably the first 12 hours after she was born and in that time they were concerned about her breathing which is why she didn't go on my chest right away and they took her to to take a look at her and I don't think it I don't even think we breastfed in the first hour I think it might have been a couple of hours I was just asking my husband before we came in Um, and then they did end up actually taking her to a different hospital so we had a lot of challenges in the beginning Um, the postpartum nurses um, unfortunately 
I didn't get a lot of support with pumping right away until I asked for it. I remember the doctor actually came in and said, she should have been pumping hours ago. And then I, in my groggy state, I got coaching on how to pump. And then later when I was a little bit more lucid, I was able to talk to two lactation consultants and get the help. But once we actually, um, I was discharged and I got to go to Children's where she was at, the lactation consultant there was fabulous and was total, and the nursing staff as well were like, here, let me show you how to latch her on. Um, the hospital did let me leave before I was discharged for a four-hour tr- trip to visit her to help establish breastfeeding, which was great. Oh, that's nice. Which we did make a seven-hour trip, but wow. <laughs> wow. we got in trouble for that. <laughs> but So there were good and bad with our, with our experience as far as um, the lactation support went, goes. Yeah. Um, well, when we come back, we're going to discuss how to avoid common booby traps on the postpartum floor. So we'll be right back. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Okay, so we're back. And um, Tanya, I know I cut you off before you wanted to answer um, Marie before we went to take a break. So you, um, I know you had a comment. What did you want to say? Actually, just for all your you know, moms mm-hmm. there, I, I'm just I'm really impressed with how carefully they, you know, they researched and wrote, you know, breastfeeding-friendly birth plans and, and, you know, just how thoughtful they were about all of this. And, and I wholeheartedly support everyone doing this, what I did with, with my birth, too. And I also think that, that Best for Babes would say, you know, mom shouldn't need a Ph.D. in boobology just to get <laughs> <laughs> decent, you know, care, that, that mom shouldn't need to do all this researching and planning and be on the defensive and be on the offense and, you know, to, um, they should be able to walk into a hospital and be confident that the hospital is going to have procedures and routines and standards that, that are evidence-based, that don't undermine breastfeeding, that will help them get off, you know, get off to a good start with breastfeeding. Absolutely. I know. We, we, like you said in the beginning, we, we've come far, but we have a really long way to go. If we have to do this much, much research to make sure that we have a successful birth and breastfeeding situation, we, we, still, have, we still have a ways to go. Um, Tanya, uh, to talk about kind of the postpartum floor and after the baby's been born, um, I've read a lot of articles lately that promote delaying a baby's first bath and not even just after the first breastfeeding session, but actually even, you know, a couple days. Um, Mm -hmm. Why would this help nurture the breastfeeding relationship? Yeah, well, there are several reasons. Um, Well, first, you guys think about how you feel when you step out of the shower cold, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all feel cold. But, you know, adults, we can regulate our temperatures pretty well. Um, but, but babies really have a hard time doing that. Um, and so, you know, so if you bathe the baby, they are at higher risk of hypothermia. And hypothermia often leads to babies spending time in the nursery, under a warmer, away from you. And if you haven't noticed, our breasts don't, you know, stretch down hallways and corridors <laughs> and under doors. You know, it just makes breastfeeding harder if you're separated from your baby. And that is more likely to happen if they get, um, if their temperature um, is is uh, not con- well controlled. Um, the second thing is, it's just kind of you know, babies are are born um, w- with instincts 
to seek out the breast and to have that really important first feeding. And some of those, some of the cues are based on smell, the way the baby smells, the way that you smell. So if you take a baby away and you bring the baby back and they smell like Johnson's baby shampoo, um, it really, you know, changes that system. And, um, and it, 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 it kind of interrupts, it can interrupt this whole really kind of miraculous sequence of behaviors that unfold in the first hour. Um, and, and so that's, that's another reason. Um, and, you know, those are some of the reasons why the American Academy of Pediatrics and your own California Department of Public Health says that, you know, look, the newborn bath should be delayed in order to focus on the important things like skin-to-skin contact, learning how to breastfeed. Um, you know, so wiping down a baby is fine, but an early bath can really, can really undermine breastfeeding. Okay. And um, in addition to that, what are your biggest tips for avoiding booby traps once a mom is in her hospital room with her baby? So first, um, you know, keep your baby with you um, as much as you can. Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's just harder to get breastfeeding going. You know, if your if your baby's down the hall, um, and and it's easier for babies on your chest. So we know, I know you're tired. I was tired, <laughs> but keeping your baby in your room is really going to help. Um, unfortunately, here's the booby trap again. See, the CDC says that only 33% of hospitals say that all of their healthy full-term babies stay in the rooms with their moms, and then that's really just a shame. So keep your baby with you. Um, do as much skin-to-skin contact as you can. It's wonderful for, for a whole range of outcomes with your baby. Um, third, um, you know, take time to focus on learning how to feed your baby. Um, and you might have to fight for uninterrupted time to do this. There was one study that showed that moms are interrupted by a combination of hospital staff and visitors and phone calls 54 times in the first day on average. And the most common duration of time a mom had alone with her baby was one minute. <laughs> so you don't want your room to be Grand Central Station. If you can, you know, put a sign on the door or station your sister or your partner to chew people away so you can have time to focus in on, on learning how to breastfeed. Um, get help from a lactation consultant if you can, if, if your hospital offers the services of one. And if they don't, um, ask, you know, which nurse on this shift is really good at breastfeeding, and they will know, and they'll you know, hopefully get, get a, someone in to help you if you feel like you need it. Um, you know, don't use a pacifier. Don't ask to supplement unless it's medically necessary, and, and that, you know, that's something that you discuss with your providers. Um, once you go home, you know, make, before you go home, make sure that you have referrals for support. Once you go home, whether that means, you know, how do I come back to the hospital for help, or where do I go in the community for help? Um, and if you're offered a formula gift bag on your way out, you know, saying no thanks. Those are some of the things that I think can help. Okay, thank you. Um, ladies, how was your hospital stay after your baby was born? Um, was breastfeeding encouraged? I would assume, you know, being in California, but that's not always the case. Um, as well as were there any things that made breastfeeding more difficult? And I know Marie, yours will be somewhat different um, just because your, your little one wasn't in the room with you. So, um, but Erin, how about you? Everything was very pro- breastfeeding for me. But I find it really interesting going back to what Tanya said earlier, because just a few months ago, my niece had a child in the same hospital and her birth experience was very different than mine. I mean, it was like night and day. And it was solely because I was demanding. I was asking of these things and she didn't get any of those things because she didn't ask. But yes, they were very supportive and breastfeeding. They knew I wanted to breastfeed. They very shortly afterwards, when they moved me to the other room, 
they brought in a pump. They said, okay, you know, this is if, if your milk, this will help your milk come in. They showed me how to use it, all of that stuff. It was really, really fabulous. And I did see two lactation consultants in my three days at the hospital, and they made sure that I had support and formula when I left. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how about you, Rachel? Um, well, kind of like I said, there was a big variation between um, having three kids between the three births. My most recent one was great. Um, I think a lot of that was because, I mean, I was super prepared and this was my third time around. We hired a doula and a huge part of her job was just to run interference between us and the hospital staff, like to basically to enforce our wishes and to have an OB who already has a standing policy not to give formula to his patients and who are in the hospital. All of those kinds of things were um, really, really helpful. So we had a really wonderful experience. We had the lights off. We had a sign on the door to say to stay out unless you've been requested to come in, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Whereas with my first, it was totally different. They were trying to give him formula constantly. They were trying to give us formula. They were trying to keep us separated. And it was exhausting. It was like a war. <laughs> to try to get him to stay with me. And I remember this moment. At, at one point, it was in the middle of the night, and I was breastfeeding him, and my eyes were closed. I was relaxed. And a nurse came in and tried to really put her foot down and say, he cannot be with you in this bed um, during the night. And I looked her right in the eye, and I said, you will pry this baby out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> that was like kind of the moment where I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. The baby's happy. I'm happy. We're both healthy. Why Why is everybody fighting this so hard? So I'm glad that it's come so far, at least in our neck of the woods. But I just would love for to see things change more so that every mom doesn't have to battle so hard because not every mom is able to battle it so mm-hmm. hard and, and knows all of this stuff going into it. Yeah. How about you, Marie? I think a lot of it, for me, depended on... So we were in the hospital for nine days. I was at my hospital for three, and then I joined my daughter at Children's, um, and she was in there for a total of nine days. Basically, she was fine. She just needed antibiotics to get over the pneumonia. But it really, really varied nurse to nurse. Um, So once I was able to get to Children's, which was fabulous, um, and, and I told them all I was really excited about nursing. I really wanted to make this happen. They had already started to give her formula, Um, because she was a NICU baby and the idea I think that she needed those extra calories which at the time I was like hey she's sick give her what she needs but I'm going to pump and once I have enough breast milk that's what she's going to take and they were completely for that and it wasn't very long before I was um, providing enough breast milk pumped to give her in the bottle if I wasn't there. Um, After I was discharged for two days. The I think the biggest thing that helped was the lactation consultant there got me permission to room in because at Children's, especially in the NICU, parents don't sleep in the same room as their babies. You have to go home. And that was the most heartbreaking thing for me to be separated from her for three days to hear all the other babies in the hospital with their mommies and my baby wasn't with me. And then once I got there to be told, okay, you need to go home and rest. And I understand logistically there's no room for an adult bed the way that the NICUs are set up. But um, when she was in a less intensive um, level of the NICU, there was an opening available in the corner room and the lactation consultant said, if you want this, I can make it happen. It's a new thing I'm trying to push for breastfeeding moms. Um, And she got basically one of those daddy pullout beds from Mm -hmm. labor and delivery. And that was my bed for the next four days. 
and I and I think I didn't have to pump, thank God, because <laughs> I hate doing that. Um, but I got to be with her 24 hours a day in those crucial times, and I got to really um, uh, work on on the latch and making breastfeeding successful. So it wasn't. I think she was only on formula for the first maybe four days. Um, so after I was with her, we were able to go 100% breast milk. Um, but as far as like, you know, I really think a lot of it is the nurse that you get because especially the overnight nurses, a lot of them were floating in from different departments. And because my baby was one of the healthier babies in the NICU, um, uh, and she was trying to be really nice. She was trying to let me sleep. So instead, and I guess I didn't wake up that time that my baby woke up and she gave her formula, which... I had breast milk in the fridge, so the lactation consultant was actually another, again, advocated and basically made sure to let her know that when breast milk is available, that's what you give the baby over formula, but really just wake up mom when mom's there and Especially let mom be sleeping mom. There. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I changed the diaper, I fed her and I did those things um, because that's what I would be doing at home. Um, so we had a rocky time, but I think a lot of it had to do with the support I got from the lactation consultant who was advocating on my behalf um, because I wasn't sure what was allowed in the NICU, so to speak. Sure, sure. And Tanya, you know, all three of these ladies mentioned formula supplementation. So, and a lot of moms actually don't know what what is considered medically necessary. And so how, how would a mom know if it is medically necessary to supplement her baby with formula while in the hospital? Yep, yep. So just so, you know, you, I think you guys, you kind of described this. I mean, there's a big booby trap here. The CDC says that nearly 80% of hospitals say that they supplement breastfed babies with formula when it's not medically necessary for, so for no medical reason. Um, but, yeah, so how do you know? Well, the, there's an organization called the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine um, that has protocols for when to supplement, when, you know, a whole range of issues about breastfeeding. But um, they're an organization of physicians who are sort of have an expertise in breastfeeding. And they, um, what they say is that it's, it's really quite rare, rare for babies to need supplementation in the first 20 to, 24 to 48 hours of life, which is, of course, the time when most babies you know, are in the hospital. Um, but, um, you know, indications for medically necessary supplementation are, are mostly weight loss in excess of 10% of birth weight accompanied by signs of dehydration things like lethargy, you know, poor feeding, um, and when it can't be improved by skilled breastfeeding help. So what a mother might see is a baby who's not feeding well, you know, a lot of times the babies who are born a little early just tire out at the breast after a few sucks and they've lost more than 10% and things don't seem to be improving even after they get help from the lactation consultant. Um, That might be a time. Another time might be, you know, that 10% weight loss above that in conjunction with those signs and also milk coming in late. So not, you know, not arriving until milk not coming in until day four or day five. So, you know, the 10% weight loss figure is important, but it needs to be viewed in the context of how the baby is doing otherwise and, and also whether some skilled help is showing that things are, are moving in the right direction. I also want to say that the weight loss percentage thing is a little tricky right now because some recent research that's been really interesting is, has, has been showing that when moms get a lot of IV fluid during labor, and you guys, do, I don't know if you, any of you had cankles, but, <laughs> but I did, <laughs> you know, like your, your feet and your, you know, your ankles swell up like crazy. But when that happens, when you have a lot of IV fluid on on board, babies are often born with excess water on board too, which they, you know, naturally and appropriately shed in the first 24 hours just to bring them back to a a normal state. But if you record the the birth weight as that waterlogged birth weight, then a 10% loss can happen when, when actually things are totally fine. 
So I think, you know, it's, it's confusing things. It's, for a long time it's confused things, but the research is coming out now that, um, that, that is really highlighting this, and I think we'll hear about, more about that in the coming years. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Tanya, for your advice and expertise on avoiding booby traps after a hospital birth. And uh, don't forget to follow Tanya at the Best for Babes Foundation and Mother Love Herbal Company. Thanks so much, Tanya. (laughs) Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Here's Amber McCann with another tip for a great online breastfeeding resource. Hello, Boob Group listeners. I'm Amber McCann, an international board-certified lactation consultant and the owner of Nourish Breastfeeding Support just outside of Washington, D.C. I'm here to answer some of your most common questions when it comes to finding quality breastfeeding resources online, such as, Google isn't cutting it. Where can I find some face-to-face support? Even though I distinctly remember quote, the day the internet came to town at my college, I would consider myself a digital native. I tend to check my email before I even get out of bed, and my online life sometimes gets in the way of real life. Even before my first child was born, I went straight to the internet for information and support. But as wonderful as that help was, it simply couldn't replace sitting face-to-face with another breastfeeding mother who would tell me, you can do this. But finding that kind of support can be confusing. I needed quick and easy access to schedules and locations for such meetings. Enter Breastfeeding USA. They are a new and growing mother-to-mother support organization that recognizes that you, the breastfeeding mother, are online and also need in-person support to help you along and engage you on Facebook and Twitter. Check them out at www.breastfeedingusa.org and click on the Find Breastfeeding Counselor button. Thank you for listening. I'm Amber McCann, and I'd love for you to check out my website at www.nourishbreastfeeding.com for more information about my business and a little bit about where to get connected with great online breastfeeding support. Or you can join me on my Facebook page at www.facebook.com backslash nourish breastfeeding. And if you have a great online breastfeeding resource you'd like us to know about, please send me an email to amber at nourishbreastfeeding.com or share it on the Boob Group Facebook page. Be sure to listen to the Boob Group each week for more fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and how to find great breastfeeding support. Thank you to all of our listeners. I hope you'll visit our website, theboobgroup.com, to add your advice in the comments section of this episode about your experiences with breastfeeding after your hospital birth. If you have any questions about today's show or the topics we discussed, call our Boob Group hotline at 619-866-4775 and we'll answer your question on an upcoming episode. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about when breastfeeding doesn't go as planned. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group, because mothers know breast. This has been a New Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. 
While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.